0: The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. Hey, I, I think we got everyone here. This this is like the real thing. Am I right? Huh? Am I right? Hello? Hello? Okay, Dad, I can see you, but I can't hear you.
1: Ugh, Dan, the internet just dropped again. Can
0: everyone unmute, please?
1: Jonah? Is that you? You're all pixelated.
0: Wow, aren't these computer meetings great? They... Oh, darn, I just... I just lost you again. All right, Jonah. Now
2: I now I can hear you, but I can't see you.
1: Uh, okay, uh, Dan. I'm I'm calling up a video tutorial thing for you now. Just it's buffering. It's, a, it's still buffering. Okay, it's still. Yeah, buffering. I can only
0: see your chin. Can you move the camera up? You
1: know, I I wonder if we should try again later.
0: Sure, but but this is great though, isn't it? <sighs> like being in the same room, but not really. Well, let's connect again after the show.
1: It's buffering. still buffering okay it's still buffering.
2: never engage in conflict if you feel as a patron your individual rights are being violated ask yourself yes but if I'm going to assert my individual rights uh, legally don't I also have to be cognizant of my collective responsibility um, in terms of public safety
0: That is lawyer Jason Ward on how to deal, or rather not deal, with the masking issue. My conversation with Jason, not via Skype, but in person, safely distance, and while wearing masks, later in the program. Isolation Dreams, that is the name of musician Mark Novoselic's brand new CD. We talk music and art and performing from his backyard. The Lakeview Arts Barn in Bob Cajun, like all theaters, had to keep its curtains drawn throughout this forced pause. It's a challenging time for the lab, and it's impresarios Sarah and James, but there's also hope. That's coming up later. Along with deep-fried pickles? Well, yeah. My name is Denny Grigno. I host this program, which is designed specifically for you, about you. It's the Advocate Podcast. Stories from Kawartha Lakes. Okay, here we go. Pedaling along. I'm not in the studio right now, but I am pedaling... On my bicycle out here on the back of 50. So it's uh, it's all safe. If I fall, it's gonna be soft plush grass, right? You know, I feel lucky actually to have a bike right now because if you don't have a bicycle and you want one and you can't find one, well, you are not alone. Mike Gorman knows why. I spoke to him just outside his bike shop in Cambrai. Now, Mike is semi-sorta, kind of retired, but not really. He's still doing what he can to, you know, get us on two wheels, while also rebuilding vintage bikes. But fulfilling this new higher demand for cycles can be an uphill pedal for Mike and his industry peers all around the world.
3: It was still snowing and blustering, and it was midwinter here. And uh, we were getting word from dealers that I have contact with people in Alabama and other places that they were selling out to the walls. Well, I could see the problem was going to exacerbate because the supply chain was directly in the the territory that was affected in China. So there would have been production schedules that would have been timed exactly when they had to close down.
0: So it was a perfect storm in many ways.
3: In many ways, yes. My wholesalers currently are sold out of any bikes within the under $1,000 range. They don't have anything. As it, as it was, I had demand for bicycles and managed to scrounge a few here and there for those people who had approached me and wanted to get a bike and couldn't find one elsewhere.
0: How did you find them then when you say you scrounged around?
3: I found them in the lists of bikes that were non-current. Ones that are from 2017 or 2016, they were still hanging around the warehouse. I spoke with one wholesaler today, and even the bikes that they had returned to them with some defect, they managed to fix them all up. All of those are gone. Hmm. The warehouse is absolutely empty. Matter of fact, they're playing basketball.
0: You, oh, they're playing basketball in the warehouse? In the warehouse, yes. Well, let me ask you about that part of the business, the repairs and the and the, uh, the tune-ups. How, how did it affect that part of the industry?
3: It affected it by the influx of huge numbers of bikes. Everybody wanted to ride their bike at the same time, and I think that most of them were sitting in a snowdrift for most of the winter, and they required a lot of servicing. But the parts uh, initially were abundant. They're gone now. I looked today to find out whether I could get, when I could get a 26 inch standard valve tube that fits 90% of the mountain bikes that are sold over the last 20 years. August 28th is the date that they'll arrive. The repair end of it I think is the part that that is happening. I don't think too many people are bridging the the price gap to spend over a thousand dollars only because they want to ride with their kids. This must be
0: an interesting time for you, because as an avid competitive cyclist, you're seeing all these people now just embracing cycling, but not able to get bicycles. What's it like to see that? Gosh, now they're into it, but we can't find them. What's it like to see that?
3: Uh, well, I think it augurs well for the future, because people are demanding bikes, but they're also using them. They're, they're out riding them. Nobody wants to be on the bus when somebody else sneezes or coughs, so they've got it on bicycles. You can't buy a bicycle in New York City.
0: There you go, a couple of cyclists right over there. Who knows? Maybe they're maybe they're new to it as well. They're moving pretty fast. They're not new to this. Do you see people embracing this and saying, "I'm going to stick with it even long past this," or is it? I just wonder if if that curve will flatten somehow. The, the the lust for bicycling.
3: I think it will wane and but even if only five percent of those people uh, who have gotten into it during the summer stay with it that's a huge number.
0: We just saw two cyclists ride right past us and wave. Do you envision a time when maybe they'll be followed by dozens of other cyclists more often?
3: We already have dozens of people using this route up Elm Tree Road through our village of Cambrai. More so than before, it, it's a uh, uh, just as prevalent as the tractors you saw going by. What's
0: it been like for you these past few weeks when you look out and you see more cyclists going by than, than you normally would? It's,
3: it's almost justification for 50 years of effort <laughs> to see all of these people riding by, and the smiles on faces of people out riding.
4: My name is Brogan Dean from Wards Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, stories from Cortha Lakes.
0: The curtain will rise again. Okay, I I am not an actor, which is why I appreciate live theatre with real actors, and that was seeming less and less likely for 2020. Indeed, the Lakeview Arts Bar near Bob Cajun had been resigned to writing off this upcoming season. But Sarah Quick and James Barrett, the artistic and business tour de force behind The Lab and Globus Theatre, are big proponents of the show must go on. They're promising a season with a reason starting this month. Details on that will be posted on their social media platform soon. I met with Sarah and James at The Lab to discuss what this uniquely whirlwind challenging time has been like.
5: For quite some time, uh, both Sarah and Monique were laid off. I was the only employee, uh, and I was calling every single customer of ours that had tickets to try and rearrange that in whatever way I could.
0: I can't even imagine what that phone call would be
2: like.
5: Um, Most of them are lovely. Like, that's the whole thing, that we have so many great customers, people who've been coming here for years and years, and yeah, so they they feel empathy for us and, and sympathy, and they're just... They're great customers.
6: But that was about $100,000 worth of tickets already sold for the season that had to be called and adjusted, and are you okay moving those forward to next season? At the end of the day, we're not canceling the season, we're postponing it, so your tickets that you have are still valid for when the show goes up. And then some people donating the cost of their tickets as that happened.
5: And then just constantly being on Zoom meetings, trying to, you know, gauge how audiences are, what sort of supports might be coming through from different ministries?
6: There's so many different sort of criteria involved mm-hmm. in running an arts organization, and just trying to glean from these people that are, you know, sh- uh, uh, really have more information at hand than we do.
0: Sarah, you described it uh, on on your website as, as being kind of a roller coaster of emotions. How did you ensure that you weren't going to fly off off the tracks of that roller coaster, if we're going to use that metaphor? Oh
6: well, I mean what people tend to forget sometimes when you're talking about a business is that there are real life people running that business and when this hit initially my mom had covid in england and she was in hospital in intensive care for a week and was very 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 sick and it was it was seeming like um that was going to end badly so that you know all of a sudden perspective yes the season that we've worked for is cancelled yes this business that we've put 17 years of our lives in is on the cusp of falling but really you know that, that sort of brings it all home to the reality so that was that was a good few weeks of focusing on that she is fine now i was she just about to good. ask okay she well that's good. i guess that's part of the yeah so like okay she's better. better okay so the company's falling apart okay so uh, <laughs> so yes it, that's 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 the roller coaster of our emotional lives. Then you've got your child at home who you're trying to homeschool, and all of this, you know, like as as everybody has over the last few months. I think, I'm pretty sure it must have been a roller coaster for almost everybody. However, with the with the theatre side of things, when you hear something like the news that the government will be putting together this relief package of five hundred million dollars for culture, heritage and sports, it seems like this big number and we had so many people going, Oh, that's great, it's going to be fine. And then you realise that's for the whole of Canada. That is for sports, heritage and culture. That's a lot of different things. And that is a lot of, you know, huge organisations that need that relief. And so much of it, it was never going to trickle down to our little area. It, um, and it hasn't. So much of the theatre being able to operate relies on businesses locally doing well they are our sponsors they actually make up a huge part of our income for the year Mm -hmm. and at that exact time that was when we would usually be going hey do you want to put an ad in our program do you want to sponsor a night will you want to bring like 20 clients and come to a theater show and all of a sudden you know that's that's not a possibility they were struggling themselves and trying to figure out how their lives were going to work
5: we did a couple of things to engage our audience. Uh, we had like a pub quiz and stuff, but honestly, theatre is, for me, it's all about the live experience of having the audience there and the audience seeing you live.
6: For us to be able to do anything of magnitude, anything decent, like you, need, you need to have that, that budget to be able to pay the people involved in doing it, and you need to have their income stream, whether it's from sponsors or from people paying to watch. The
0: theatre has always been about adapting. I just wonder if it's uh, if the two of you were better poised to adjust.
6: James and I met doing the doing fringe. Fringe theatre is little theatres all around the world, and and groups of actors coming together with like nothing and putting on a show. And from that, nothing is also there's no audience yet, so. Um, having to work within, okay, you don't have a budget anymore and you're only allowed small audiences and how are you going to make this happen? We have done it. We didn't relish initially the thought of doing that again because when you've built something up over so many years and you're getting to a stage where you have big audiences, maybe, you know, sometimes on busy matinee days, it was like 300 people through here and that's amazing. But if that's what needs to happen in order to get to that again then we are more than capable of doing it. If you can put out some chairs, socially distance them, it's a massive theatre, so there's no reason why anybody needs to be close to each other at all. And we have an awesome company of people that we've worked with over the years, so all of these performers that really want to get back to entertaining. are it, it it, uh, We are po- we're in a very good position as far as that.
0: When those doors swing open to my right, in this revamped format where there's going to be you know sanitizing stations and Mm -hmm. and people walking in Um, and you're at the top of those stairs as you always are greeting people. How do you think you'll be feeling?
5: I think it'll be incredible because the people that are uh, will come want to be here. There are so many people who are just um, they miss it.
6: It's as much a part of the healing process that we all have to go through after this crisis as as anything else. I think for people's mental health, for their ability to be able to get out and see their neighbours, see their friends, sit across the table from their husband and talk about something different than they've had for the last five months. So I I think it's, I think it's, I was going to say important, I think it's actually vital.
0: To support Globus Theatre and the Lakeview Arts Barn, there is a fundraising campaign underway built around matching donations from longtime lab patrons, Sally and John Eaton, and their foundation. Find out more by visiting the lab's Facebook page or lakeviewartsbarn.ca. Okay, you try to figure out all the details of this new mask rule for businesses and customers in Kawartha Lakes sure we're required to now wear mouth and nose covering when entering a business but what about the person who refuses what if they have a legitimate reason how do they prove it and who's responsible for enforcing the rule the business owner the police and what if staff aren't wearing masks or not wearing them properly so many questions so much legal nuance so above my level of aptitude which is why I consulted a legal expert in his office while we were both wearing masks. So you'll notice my slightly muffled voice and how his voice is much clearer. Hmm, maybe I should have worn his style of mask. We call this regular feature of the podcast.
1: "Words of Wisdom. More than just words of wisdom, it's words of Wisdom.
0: I am now in the boardroom at Wards Lawyers on Kent Street in Lindsay, all masked up. With uh, one of its namesakes, lawyer Jason Ward. Uh, Jason, first of all, thanks for you know shedding some light on this whole mask and business issue.
2: Happy to do so.
0: The rule, as I understand it, and was in one of your blog states, you must have policies in place to stop people from entering your establishment if they are not wearing a non medical mask or face covering. Okay, how does the business actually stop people from entering? I'm just curious how far Can those means extend without legal repercussion?
2: The health unit's emphasis is that when a person enters your public uh, place, if you have an indoor place that is publicly accessible, including a commercial establishment, you have to politely and and courteously ask that person to wear a mask. If that person refuses, uh, provided that there was a mask policy in place and that the required signs were posted on the business establishment, that discharges the business's obligation. They cannot be penalized by the health unit if they've done that educational mandate in good faith and use their best efforts to do it. They should avoid conflict. Businesses should avoid conflict and, in fact, uh, train staff on conflict de escalation if possible. There shouldn't be altercations between employees of businesses and patrons who refuse to wear masks.
0: You're talking about physical altercations. You cannot grab somebody by the shoulder and say, get out.
2: That's right. There should be no physical uh, interaction between employees and customers rather if a person refuses to wear a mask and there's not an identified exception as identified by the health unit for not wearing a mask then the business owner should contact the health unit and or the police they have authority under the health unit's order to enforce the health unit's order itself ideally what would happen is uh, the health unit would be contacted if they're open if they also have an emergency service they would speak to these the customer or the patron and convince them to wear the mask or not enter the store. But if it has to be escalated beyond that, the police have authority and jurisdiction to deal with it.
0: So what happens in the interim there, in
2: that three or four minutes before someone can legally, physically remove them? Provided the store or the business has, has in good faith done the educational part of this, then they should not engage in conflict and de-escalate the conflict. So if the person insists on wandering throughout the store, the store should permit that while waiting for the health unit of the police to intervene. Okay, and if there's other patrons in the store, the store owner should caution and warn those other patrons that there's someone choosing not to wear a mask in the store who's not under the excluded categories. And probably, I would think, urge those people to to keep their distance. What if a
0: customer is claiming some kind of exemption saying, look, you know, hey,
2: I'm I'm allowed in here because of blank.
0: Is it incumbent upon the customer to prove it?
2: Yeah, there's there's really four exceptions. Two of them are physical in nature, so they shouldn't be an issue. So the children under two or the children under five, that's something that the store owner should be able to discern for themselves. Uh, the other one is if the person is unable or incapacitated to remove the mask or, or apply the mask themselves, that's something a store owner could assess on their own when the person's there. So that one shouldn't be an issue. Really, the two troubling ones are I have an underlying medical condition or I have a religious reason for not wearing it. And if somebody comes in, the store owner has to assess that at face value. Uh, Is that person seem credible? Do they have an explanation of what their religious reason is? Um, What is the medical condition? Um, They can ask those questions. That's legitimate to inquire into the medical reason. Doesn't that kind of walk the
0: fine line, though, between privacy issues and and, um, borderline harassment when you think about it? I mean, I'm just wondering how far they can push that to ask.
2: It does. It, it, there's, a, there's an interplay with privacy law and discrimination as well under Ontario human rights under the Ontario Human Rights Code. But at the end of the day, the onus is on the store owner that if, if they're going to permit an exception to enter the store, um, they, have the, they have the right and the ability to ask the question, do you have a medical reason and can you explain what the medical reason is that you're not able to wear a mask? And if that customer says that's a private issue, I'd rather not discuss it. Then you've got to take them at face value. And if there's a concern, call the health unit.
0: Okay, what if the same applies to a staffer? You know, you you have that employee, they're claiming an exemption status, whether it's for health or religious reasons. How much control does the employer have on refusing to keep them on? Uh,
2: You can't compel the employee to wear a mask. The employer should have a policy in place that requires all staff and employees to wear non-medical masks. If there is a discrimination issue or a medical reason there, then the employer has to make a difficult decision about whether that employee can be placed in that circumstance or not. And if so, uh, face masks are insufficient. So the health unit order says a face mask is not an acceptable substitute for a non-medical mask. So having the employee merely wear a face mask may not be a satisfactory result for that. I think the employer would have to make a choice to remove the employee from the interaction with the public if that employee is unable to wear a non medical mask.
0: From a legal standpoint, though, what are the chances that that employee may say, look, my rights have been violated, I'm taking my employer to court?
2: Well, provided the employee is not terminated, but rather accommodated and put in a different position or given different roles and responsibilities because of this issue, then there really isn't a legal grounds to claim anything against the employer or the business.
0: What if it pushes to the extent that if your job is to serve customers and that's really the only job you have? And I just, I'm looking at a hypothetical situation, which really isn't that hypothetical. Yeah. Can that employer say, sorry, you're going to have to stay home and when and this is all over, then you can come back. They're not fired, but they're quote unquote laid off.
2: Yeah, the, the employer will be at risk there of, of constructively or, or outright terminating the employee. Um, but there's a balance here. And this is the problem with the pandemic is none of this has been judicially reviewed. So there's a balance between the employer's duty to keep the public safe versus the employer's duty to keep his his or her employees safe in the workplace. And that clash may happen, and there's no legal, clear, definitive answer on that right now. But at the end of the day, if I was a store owner, uh, I would be thinking seriously about trying to accommodate the employee that couldn't wear a mask and let public safety uh, weigh uh, more important than the rights of that particular employee in my store.
0: Let's talk about another very hypothetical scenario, which really isn't. I'm in a store, I'm wearing a mask. The person next to me is not wearing a mask for whatever reason. I get sick and it's traced back to my time in the business. Who's liable, if anyone?
2: That's a, that's a very good question. And that has not been judicially uh, dealt with at all, but it's going to raise some very interesting issues, like how do you prove uh, that, that you became sick in that circumstance? I would think that's going to be a very important issue on on cases of this nature. The other is what insurance coverage will there be for somebody who is in a store who alleges they were infected with COVID-19, will that store have insurance coverage? And different policies say different things. So that's also going to be an issue. But that's why my comment was stores would be probably better served by putting more emphasis on public safety rather than the individual rights of a patron or a particular employee for that very reason.
0: Certainly from a, an ethical standpoint, that sounds like the right thing to do. You're, yeah. you're thinking of the public safety. From a legal standpoint, is that the smart thing to do too, when you're yes. weighing those two scales going, better lean towards that side?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's, it's a double-edged sword, frankly, because there's probably no right way to do it that eliminates any uh, risk or exposure to liability. But I would weigh on the side of public safety rather than individual patron rights.
0: My thanks to Jason Ward of Ward's Lawyers for helping us wade through the the new mask rules there. Jason's new book, Resolving Grave Disputes, The Law of Dead Bodies in Ontario, is now available on Amazon, Kindle, and at the Ward legal offices on Kent Street in Lindsay. You're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Coorth Lakes. Okay, when you finished binge-watching that 700-part documentary series, after you've kneaded and baked your 300th loaf of bread, and and now that that garden you finally planted is weeded, well, it's time to sit and and reflect. And hey, why not expand your word power with something that's
1: well-defined. Defined. Nine, well, well defined. What does that, that mean anyway? Well, well defined.
0: Lindsay Bowen is with Outreach and Community Engagement with Kawartha Public Library. Now, before you enlighten us, uh, Lindsay, with a new word, uh, you got to fill me in on what I've been seeing from you on Instagram, including, uh, especially including pizza in a cup. What What's that all about?
4: Well, we wanted to do some virtual programming from home that people can enjoy because, of course, Uh, right now no one can come to the library so one of the things that people really loved coming to the library for was crafting so we thought we would do some maker monday videos uh, which started out as making some typical crafts we made some crowns and things like that And then somehow, I'm not really sure how I came about it, but it progressed to doing some um, experiments in mugs. So I started out with a brownie in a mug that I made at home. And uh, then the one that I think uh, you were referring to was a pizza in a mug. Now, I was really apprehensive about this, but it worked out really well and I quite enjoyed it.
0: Okay, you enjoyed it, but I have to ask, did you pass it around to people around you to, to, to taste test this pizza in a mug?
4: No, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I might have to perfect my recipe a little bit more and then uh, we'll, we'll try that again at a later date here.
0: <laughs> well, please keep us posted on that one on Instagram. I want to know how that, uh, how that developed. I, however, would need a bigger cup, I'm sure. So what is your submission for our well-defined entry for episode 12?
4: Okay, so as we know, uh, masks are now required when entering indoor public places. Um, So before we enter buildings, we've all been donning masks or putting masks on. Now, I actually have heard of that word before, um, but what I didn't know is that when we're somewhere where we're able to safely remove our masks, we're doffing them or taking them off. So we are donning and doffing our masks, putting on and removing them.
0: I feel like I should be saying doffing with a a British English accent.
4: I know. I was practicing saying it earlier, and I understand what you mean exactly.
0: Well, I appreciate this. We don't need our masks on right now because you are at the Lindsay Public Library. I I don't know if you're wearing a mask. Uh, I know I don't need one because we are socially distanced. But if we do meet each other, I will make sure to don my mask and to doff it.
4: We are hoping to be reopening our buildings in Lindsay and Fenland Falls shortly. I don't have a date quite yet, but stay tuned. So when people come to the building, they can don and doff their masks.
0: Thanks so much, Lindsay. Thank you. So how are you listening to us right now? Spotify, Apple Podcasts, eavesdropping into someone's house from across the street. All episodes are available for free to stream and download. Please tell your friends about us. We, we love feedback. Go to our podcast page at lindsayadvocate.ca to do that. We are sponsored by Ward's Lawyers for all your legal needs. Carissa and Jason Ward and their team have you covered. Find out more at wardlegal.ca. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm a big fan of chip trucks. But I'm also an erudite kind of fellow when it comes to culinary offerings. I I mean, I'm more than just fries and gravy. So we're going to get one order of deep fried pickles. Okay. I'm intrigued with the whole deep fried pickle thing. This is the first time I've had it. What's the story behind this, Nicole? What is a deep fried pickle?
4: Uh, well, our deep fried pickles are nothing really too fancy. Uh, it's just a dill pickle, and it's been breaded and seasoned on the outside, and we just throw it in the fryer. Uh, it comes out, we serve ours with chipotle sauce.
2: Is that hot and spicy, or? It's
4: kind of more of a mayo chipotle, so it's got a creamy spice to it. So okay. it's not too, too bad.
0: What's the art in putting it together? Because even I know how to make french fries, but there's something about a deep fried pickle that scares me in making. So what's the trick in making it?
4: Uh, there's really no trick. Uh, if I told you I couldn't let you leave, but, uh...
0: (laughs) This is my first taste of a deep-fried pickle, Nance. Do you care to, uh, share the experience with me?
1: Absolutely, I'm just going to open the
0: chipotle
1: dip here. We are right beside the Glen Arm Road as you can hear.
0: When she said chipotle, my heart skipped the beat because as you know I don't like spicy food. She told me it's kind of a more of a mayonnaise thing so less hot and spicy.
1: It's nice it's um it's a little bit sweet. It's got a little bit of a kick at the end but not bad like just try a little bit It's more like a yeah like a chipotle paprika kind of quality as opposed to like a jalapeno hurts your mouth quality. This
5: isn't gonna
0: hurt me is it? Okay you ready? Yep okay one two three. Mm. Oh, oh!
1: Mm. I love that little salty dill kick.
0: You know what? It looks like deep fried zucchini, which mm. you'll remember we kind of grew up with, and when we were adults, young adults in Ottawa. This kind of looks like it, but it's got um, there's more firmness to it.
1: Mm. More flavor. Mm-hmm. You're expecting zucchini, and then you get a dill pickle. All right, the sauce is good.
0: I'm gonna go tell Nicole. You should know Nicole. It absolutely rocks the deep fried pickle. It rocks.
7: Awesome! First Good. time I've ever. So had glad it. you enjoy it.
0: You
7: bet. I'm Nicole at the Lunchbox in Glenarm, and you're
4: listening to the Advocate Podcast.
0: The Glenarm Road—that's where you'll find the Lunchbox and some great deep fried pickles. The Advocate podcast is 100% local media, which includes the program you're listening to right now, as well as The Advocate Online and The Advocate Print Magazine, which is available right now throughout Kortha Lakes, including Boiling Over in Lindsay and Village Gate Variety in Cajun. The first time I heard Mark Novoselic play was, coincidentally, in Cajun at the Bob Cajun Arena as part of the Mark Eakins band, which was the opening act for a band with a very recognizable name. Now, I don't want to identify that band because, well, the band with the two Marks was way better. Mark Novoselic spent the past few months completing a new CD on his own, playing myriad instruments. The result? Isolation Dreams. I like Mark. The player, the songwriter, but also the deep and thoughtful thinker. We chatted outside at his country home, a former schoolhouse near Cambrai. The many, many plants and trees and gardens surrounding us just, well, they just seemed to, to suit our conversation. Tell me about that creative process creating during, you know, when, when you really had a lot of time on your hands, like all of us, what was mm-hmm. that like?
7: I started the first couple of weeks of the, you know, the isolation with the normal panic that everybody else kind of felt. It's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then, you know, we had the feeling that it was going to be a couple of weeks and it wasn't, you know, so it stretched on and on. And so it took maybe two weeks for me to sort of get my, my, my button gear to, get back up to do recording right what, what kicked it back into gear after those two having weeks having the time and realizing that i have a, a you know a, like a weight on my shoulders like a backlog of of songs that i knew i needed to to record and a lot of the songs that i need i felt i needed to record were ones that are for demos to publication companies to be sent off to nashville or wherever so that was weighing on me right the sort of burden of responsibility to somebody else and then once I got into it I started going no you know what I've, I've, I want to I want to enjoy this more than I am right now the the first piece on there was uh, something that I conceived um, from the baseline while I was cooking supper uh, so I started it in my head um, after supper I went upstairs and, and formalized what was in my head and by the end of the night you know four hours later uh, the song was done
0: You'll often hear artists talk about how the creative spirit, well, it's kind of challenged with procrastination. Mm. And now we were in this situation where we didn't really have a lot of excuses.
7: Yeah. You're nodding, so you agree with that? Absolutely. It's like, you know, it's, you you always, I don't know. I don't know if any other creative people do the same kind of thing, but I tend to relegate my projects like that till the last thing that I need to do in the day. There's the day-to-day responsibilities of gardening or doing something out or doing something for the house. And then if I have time, I'll indulge my hobby, as some people would call it. And and I, I sort of had a showdown with myself and said, okay, you've wanted this, do it. And, you know, I really, really um, enjoyed it. We'd have supper, finish, you know, 6 or 7 o'clock, whatever. Um... And then I would head up to my studio in the attic and I'd be there till 1, 2, 3 in the morning, um, sometimes starting one song and getting a flash to go on to another. And a lot of the songs came to me that way. You know, it was inspired by something I was doing. Um, Give me an oh, example. Um, Just Be. There's two songs on the, on, the, on the album called Just Be. One is called The Trouble Edit, and one is called The Victory Edit. So two versions of the same song? Or? Yes. And the uh, the trouble edit, uh, it actually was a, was a piece of poetry that I wrote, and I, I keep lyric ideas on my phone, so sometimes if I'm dry on an idea, I'll open that folder in the notepad on my phone and flip through it, and I'll see lines that I've written in the past, right? So Just Be was a poem that I wrote, I don't know, a couple years ago, and completely forgot about. Uh, and then I, I was listening to it and or listening to it in my head i guess you could say and i realized that you know it's all about not wanting to to buckle and follow and and be led around you know like the sheep kind of thing i don't use those kind of terms in there right but and then it's it's got um a sentiment at the end about not giving up don't give in i don't want to follow something tells me it's time to I detuned a piano sound, I messed it all up so it didn't sound right, um, I put an accordion in there, I put um, air raid sirens, um, audience laughter, all of which I had legal samples of so I'm not stealing
0: anybody's work. Right? And that's what's called a trouble edit?
7: Well for me that's what I, I was trying to think of what can I call this, right, and I had no intention of doing the second version, right, it wasn't in my head, I was just wanting to do this, it's like a... I guess you could say like an art piece, it's spoken word more than a song, but the music is, is disjointed and there's the contrast of the laughter and the air raid siren and this person trying to speak um, uplifting poetry to give you the courage to just be, not trying to be everything for everybody else, just be. You know, the panic that everybody feels to some degree. Would you
0: have written that had this not been the pandemic? Like that, or was it? No, fully inspired by COVID. Totally, totally inspired by
7: it.
0: Why is that contrast important to you?
7: Because I think it makes people think. You know, if if um if everything is too homogenized and too easy to get along with, I don't think that's the job of of an artist, whether it's a painter or somebody doing interpretive dance or so i think the the, ob, the the object of creativity should be to make somebody engage in it and if you can make them engage um, and try and figure out what you've done then maybe they'll see something in it that i didn't even know it was there you know like your your own interpretation so i think unless you have contrast you're you're too it's too easy to, to be dismissed. On um, Isolation Dreams is a piece called Crested Moon and it, it came about um, one night when we were out here we'll often come out at night and take pictures of you know, the sky and yeah, Stacy came up to me and she said, I've got this amazing picture of the moon and she said the the way the cloud went over the moon it looked like it was crested. And I went, wow, crested moon So I went out and looked at it and um and watched it. I didn't I didn't take any video of it. I just wanted to, to be in the moment with it.
0: It tends to be a bit more upbeat tone to a lot of the songs you have even the ones Mm -hmm. that have that juxtaposition you know the uh leaving the titles i'm gonna start uh dare to be happy how conscious a decision was that to to make this about looking forward and and overcoming
7: it was a it was a hundred percent conscious decision to do that why um because i think there's there's things that need to be said such as well in the in the lyrics i I i like to write lyrics that that hopefully can resonate with a bunch of different people in a bunch of different ways you know for me an upbeat song isn't going to be I'm going to the club touch my body on the floor I mean that's every pop song right that for me is not an uplifting and song. that
0: is so not a Mark Novoselic song I,
7: I want to write a lyric that somebody will have stuck in their head um, I want to write a lyric that somebody's going to hear and they're going to try and look for it on their phone
8: I'm gonna start by stopping thinking of you when it starts to rain I'm gonna start by putting down the pen when your name is on my lips again I'm gonna start by letting go, let the winds carry me away I'm gonna start to make another way, just maybe not today I'm gonna hold your pretty face Close to my heart I'm gonna hold on to your memory And pretend we didn't part I'm gonna hold on to yesterday Till I can't fight today away I'm gonna start to make another way Just maybe not today I gotta start to move on Start to get on with my life with my days and with my nights I gotta start to figure out how to live without the love we make cause it's easier to say I'm gonna start to make another way just maybe not today to put those feelings on a shelf. I won't save them for nobody else If we ever come back to me and you I'll be there waiting honest and true But I gotta start to move on Start to get on with my life, with my gonna start to
0: figure out from his brand new cd isolation dreams that was i'm gonna start by mark noah selick buy the cd by reaching mark on instagram and facebook you can also find us on instagram and twitter and at lindsayadvocate.ca big thanks to gerald van halteren who gives music lessons literally in the room right next to mark at Ben Haltern's Music. Gerald wrote and performed our theme music, and a big thanks to our sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. They're the reason you can stream and download us for free. Find them at wardlegal.ca. The Advocate podcast, Stories from Kawaratha Lakes, is produced by me, Denis Grignon. I'll be back in about two weeks. Okay, so these are deep fried pickles. Be totally honest what you think, Jonah. Am I your honest assessment? (laughs)
7: The match made in heaven, right there. I, I love pickles to begin
0: with. It holds together really well, and the pickle itself is just a really, really nice flavor. I'm gonna eat all of this.
5: Mm-hmm.
8: Oh, delicious.